the book of James, chapter 1. The last time I preached on this out of chapter 1 was actually February the 18th. And what is today? The 18th again, but now March. It's amazing how much gold and jewels and precious spiritual things that you can mine from God's word. Amen? And so, let us begin in chapter number 1 and verse 1, as you're turning there. Father God, your word is true. It is the only thing that we can trust in our lives that we can hold in our hands here on earth. And Father, we know that you will accomplish all what your word that you desired for it to accomplish, Almighty God. And so we ask, Almighty Father, that you would accomplish your good work in us today. As we spend time receiving from our elder brother, Yaakov, James, Almighty God, he wrote that book to those who are part of the diaspora, the Jews, but also for those who were grafted in, how they would be able to conduct themselves. And they, they would take every thought captive, proving that they have the mind of Yeshua, dealing with all these issues. We give you glory and honor and praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. And since it's been quite a while since we've been in the, this chapter, well, let's begin in verse 1 here. For ya from Yaakov, a slave of God, and of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, to the twelve tribes in the diaspora, shalom. Regard it as all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of temptations. For you know that the testing of your trust produces perseverance, but let perseverance do its complete work, so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in trust, in faith, doubting nothing, for the doubter is like a wave, in the sea, being tossed and driven by wind. Indeed, that person should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the brother in humble circumstances boast about his high position, but let the rich brother boast about his being humbled, since like a flower he will pass away. For just as the sun rises with the sharaf and dries up the plant, so its flower falls off and its beauty is later destroyed. So too the rich person going about his business will wither away. And so what we're going to focus on now is verses 12 and beyond. How blessed is the man who preserves through temp perseveres through temptation. For after he has passed the test, he will receive what? The crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so with this, we see that tests and trials is part of God's movement in our lives. So we're not to feel, fear those trials and tests, because these are ordained by God to get our attention to complete his good work in us. So continuing, the tests and trials are part of what God is doing to prepare his people for what? His blessing. Aren't you glad that you've now matured from that day when you first received the Lord? Or would you rather be that old person? 
I would not trade it for anything in this world you could offer me. I'm glad that I'm being daily transformed, just as you are, into the image and likeness of Messiah. Because it says that when he returns for us, we will receive what? Our glorified bodies. See, the promise of our salvation is yes and amen for our spirit and our souls, but our bodies have not been redeemed. How do we know this? We age, do we not? We get injured, do we not? And so the whole creation is longing for the, for the redemption of both God's sons and daughters. And that's the last part of our salvation. And when will that take place? When the Lord appears and takes us to be his own. So let us continue. And so this we see that, that people are, are, are going through this time of testing and trials and God is preparing us because we have to be prepared to receive the blessing. See, because in our old ways, our old thoughts, God, if he presented the blessing to us as our being transformed, we could not receive it. We could not even comprehend it. That's why we need to renew our hearts and minds by what? Through the washing of the word of God. Otherwise, you'd be like a child that receives a gift from, from a parent or aunt and uncle, and you don't really appreciate it, do you? You just set it aside, and you're waiting for that piece of plastic, colored plastic, to be presented in your hands, right? But you don't understand there are certain gifts that God gives. The greatest gift that he gives us is that, he, that he's given us a crown of life. We have become born again, born of the Spirit, not wanting to live according to this world, according to our old fleshly ways. Isn't it amazing how you've been able to mature and set those fleshly desires aside and seek after what is best? And so the Lord allows these trials and tests to come in our lives so that we can receive what? The crown of life. And so with this now, let us turn to Yaakov chapter 5. And verse number 11, 5 and 11. And this is what it says here. Look, we regard those who persevered as what blessed. See, the Lord allows trials and testing in our lives so that we may be blessed. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. And you know what purpose of Adonai was. That Adonai is what? He's very compassionate and merciful. Even while the Lord's allowing us to go through these testings and these trials, he's showing us his grace and his mercy through it all. And how do we know this? That this is something, nothing brand new. Now let us turn quickly to Exodus chapter 34. My brothers and sisters, you're about to get a workout again. Exodus chapter 34, and beginning at verse number 6. But Rabbi, in our Torah reading, we completed the book of Exodus today. That's right, but it still has some great nuggets we still need to dig a little bit deeper in. So we're in Exodus 34, and we're looking at verse number 6. Adonai passed before him and proclaimed his name. 
Adonai is God and merciful and compassionate, slow in anger and rich in grace and truth. Did you hear that? That's a promise that is giving us God's character. He is rich in grace and he's rich in truth. And he's loving and he's compassionate. He's the most loving, compassionate father that you will ever have. Because he's without sin. For he is God. Continuing. In Psalm uh, 103.8, it also declares that the Lord is compassionate. And he's also showing grace and mercy. And also, now as, we, as we're really close, let's now turn to, to the book of Job. And if you remember the last time in February, we read chapters 1 and 2. We're not going to do that today. So I'm asking those of you who are on or listening to the podcast to go ahead and listen to the last message that was given from uh, Yaakov chapter 1. And so, now, so here we're in Job chapter 5, verse 17. Job 5, 17. It's amazing the things that, are, that Job experienced with the Lord. And this was even prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And you know what's a shocker for a lot of people? Job was a righteous Gentile before the Torah was even given. Think about that for a second. And a lot of things that, that Job experienced, because he knew this, that though my body lay in the grave, one day my eyes will see my Redeemer. That's before the Torah. Think about that for a second. God had righteous Gentiles. Think about Noah. See, there are others. So let us continue in, in uh, Job chapter 5. And we're looking here at verse number 17. How happy is the person that God corrects. So don't despise Shaddai's discipline. Think about that. What did Job endure? He lost all his children. He lost his great wealth. There were sores, there were boils all over his body. And his wife said, you know what? She looked at him and said, you know, you're a pitiful sight. Won't you just rise up, curse God, and simply die? End your misery. That was her, her, uh, her, her uh, opinion to him. And he said, you're like the lowly women. Because here we see later in chapter 5, verse 17, it says, how happy is a person whom God corrects. So don't despise Shaddai's discipline. Now, if a righteous Gentile who was not even filled with the Ruach HaKodesh because the scripture doesn't say that it says that he had a relationship with God but the, but the spirit was not even given yet and he had this revelation and this, he had this opinion of Abba Father God think about that contemplate these things that are hidden in the scripture but give us because you know what we, we, we look to those cloud of witnesses, those who've come before us. 
As when I taught through the, through the book of Hebrews, it spoke about those men and women of faith. And you know what is amazing about them? Not one of them were, were perfect. All of them have flaws just like you and I. They were going through the transformation process in their lives as God's presence was being manifested in their lives. Increment by increment. So is the same with us today as we go on our journey today with the Lord daily. Now let us go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. See, the scripture is continuing and continuing to give us insights dealing with all these issues so we'll have the right attitude and, and be able to look at the Lord for who he is. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. And this is what it says here. Now every athlete in training submits himself to strict discipline. And he does just to win a laurel wreath that will soon wither away. But we do it to win a crown that will last forever. And what is that crown? The crown of life. And so we have to participate in this, do we not? Have you ever tried to check out of a trial and test that the Lord has brought to you? He specifically crafted and made it just for you and you alone? Yeah, sometimes we say, Lord, you know, why don't you choose somebody else? But he's chosen you. Because he knows by this testing and this trial, it will produce what? A greater trust and intimacy with him. Where do you go when the doctors say, hey, there's nothing more I can do for you? And all these other medical advisors. Then we go to the place where we should have went the very first, right? To our Heavenly Father. And ask for him to speak to the divine physician. The worm who's formed and shaped us in our mother's womb. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, continuing, not too far, let's turn to Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. And this is what it says here in 1035. You know, the, the great things I'm looking forward to when I get in heaven, just one of the many, I'm finally going to learn who the author of the book of uh, uh, Hebrews, Messianic Jews is, and so will everyone else. So there's still mysteries for us to discover. So this is what it says. Don't throw away that courage of yours, which carries with it such great reward. For you need to hold out so that by having done what God wills, not what the Supreme Court wants us to do, not what my mom and dad want me to do. No, but what God wills, you may receive what he has promised. For there is so little time. The one coming will indeed come, and he will not delay. But the person who is righteous will live his life by what? Trusting or by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. When did the Lord speak this? He spoke it through the prophet Habakkuk. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Continue in verse 39 here. However, we are not the kind who shrink back and are destroyed on the contrary. We keep trusting and thus preserve our lives. 
See, faith is not just something that you think in your mind. You have to produce action. And the Lord does not let us sit there and contemplate these things. We, he speaks to and affects our emotions. Have you ever had times of trials of pain? You know, the Lord has actually given some people thorns in their flesh. And I had one person that asked me this question. They said, Rabbi Frank, I think I figured out your thorn in the flesh. I said, really? What do you, what do you think it is? Your kidney stones. I said, you know what? I never thought of it that way. The Lord allows these things. So that we will what? We can endure pain. We can sympathize and, and show empathy, empathy to those who are also suffering. When we have also suffered. And it's a light affection. There have been some that have been blown up in my body. And some have passed naturally. One, the Lord, by his miraculous power, he broke a, it measured seven milliliters in two so it could pass. So God can do great and mighty things. But in the midst of that, do we still suffer pain? Yes. But what did Rav Shaul pray? He said, I want to know Messiah. Where? In his sufferings. And you know, you can first look at that and say, well, does that mean that we have to be literally crucified? No. But allowing God's tests and trials that God has ordained for us specifically made for us, we can be transformed so that we'll become, become a humble servant before the Father. It acknowledges that every trial and test that the Lord comes towards me is to perfect me and for me to grow in my faith. And so with that, I am a light and testimony to those who are suffering around me who have no intimacy and no trust with the Lord. Praise be to God. So, at this time, winning athletes, that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, were crowned with a victory, a wreath crown, you know, that, that would pass away. The Greek term here suggests that for us Messianic believers, it is the eternal life, is a crown, the reward of victory that we desire. Now back to first, uh, excuse me, not first, but chapter 1, Yaakov and verse number 13. Now being, no one being tempted should say I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. God himself tempts no one. Because what temptation brings, if you do not bring it before the Lord, it gives birth what? To sin. See, the Lord allows trials and tests for us to grow in faith and our trust and our intimacy with him. But temptation comes from what? Hasatan, from the world. And our old carnal nature says, oh my goodness, I missed that. I got to go participate in that. And that produces sin in our lives. Unless we take that thought captive and say, well, the Lord has delivered me from that. I don't want to go down that path that leads ultimately, possibly, to my, my own destruction. 
So continuing here, no one being tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. God himself tempts no one. So Hasatan, Satan, he came and he tempted Job. And remember, we read those two chapters the last time, so we will not read that again. But we will turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, to see what the scripture speaks pertaining to this. Those of you that were with us in prior time, you probably can recall that I actually preached the whole book of Matthew at one time. And so if you'd like to catch up and and look at some of those messages, listen to some of those messages, please do. They're on our podcast. Bless the Lord. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So Yeshua treats us just like he has treated his own son while he was on earth. Then whom the Spirit... What spirit? A demonic spirit? No, the spirit of the living God, the Ruach HaKodesh. And this is right after Yeshua going underneath the waters of immersion so that he would do exactly and show, set up the template for us to walk therein. And he rose up and the, and the, and the Ruach ascended upon him. It appeared as a dove. And there was a voice that cried out, Behold, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And what did Yohanan say prior to seeing his cousin coming towards? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so immediately after he came up of the waters of immersion, which was a sign of someone coming to repentance, Yeshua did not have to repent because there was no sin in his life, but to demonstrate how we are to go through the process. Then the Spirit led Yeshua up into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted by the adversary. See, when Hasatan is released by Abba, Father God, to bring temptation in our lives, gives us an opportunity to grow mature. As I said in many messages, the adversary of Satan is God's devil. He cannot do anything without the Father allowing him to do it. And he will use the adversary, the enemy of our souls, to get us in a right relationship. That's why the scripture says about, O you who are a backslider, know this, that there are those who have actually, apostles, who have prayed that someone would be delivered over to Hasatan. Why? So they could be delivered from their sin, practice it no more, and then that their souls could be saved. So continuing here. Then the Spirit led Yeshua up into the wilderness to be tempted by the adversary. You think that would be the complete opposite, right? No, but he wanted to bring this out in Yeshua's life. What did he live by? Remember, he is our example. After Yeshua had fasted for 40 days and nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God. Isn't it amazing? When Satan brings in temptation, he's always questioning what the father has said and established in our hearts. If you're the son of God, order these stones to become bread. Because 
Hasatan knew this. Yeshua had the authority and power to do that. Continuing. But he answered, the Tanakh says, the Torah says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. So what are you planning your, 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 your retirement on? Is it God's word? Where are you looking for your preservation on this life? Are you trusting the things of the world? Look what has recently been happening to banks. You know, one day all the money that we have in a bank can be taken away from us. Whose provision are you going to walk there in? The word of God. See, because if you look at Yeshua, he's out in the wilderness, right? 40 days, 40 nights, no food and no water. That's a miracle that he's still alive. Because on average, we can only go, what, up to three, maybe four days without drinking water. So continuing here. Then the adversary took him to the holy hill, and he set him on to the holy city. Rome, Moscow, Washington, D.C., no, Jerusalem. And he set him on the highest point of the temple. St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome? No. The temple, the second temple in Jerusalem. If you are God's son, he said, jump. For the Tanakh says he will order his angels to be responsible for you. They will support you with their hands so that you will not hurt your feet on the stones. And what is he quoting? From Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. See, the, our enemy, the adversary, knows the word of God better than you and I do. And he may even quote it to you. To deceive you. To cause you to walk in sin and separate yourself from the presence of the living God. So continuing here. Yeshua replied to him, but it also says, do not put Adonai, your God, to the test. If we're really honest, has there not been times in our lives when we've put Adonai to the test and yet he's shown us compassion, grace, and mercy in spite of ourselves? Continuing. Once more, the adversary took him up to the summit of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their glory and said to him, all this will I give you if you will bow down and worship me. That is Hasatan's goal since his fall. To have they who are created in God's image and likeness to worship him. Think about the audacity here. Hasatan is not stupid. He's coming up against the literal representative God the Father, who is Yeshua himself, in human flesh, both man and God. And he's trying to tempt him. To thwart what? Our salvation. Can you bring, can you imagine the disunity? If Yeshua would have accepted or done any of these things, you and I would be lost without a hope. But that's how deceived our enemy is 
Because he's looking forward a day, which I believe will be here in the near future, when he will set up his earthly kingdom through the anti-Messiah, and he will receive the one thing that he's craved for centuries, for men and women created in the image and likeness of God to bow down and worship him. Have you ever noticed, as you read through the book of Revelation, that those who receive the mark of the beast, there is no way for them to be redeemed? Let that sink into your heart and soul right now. Think now about friends, family, co-workers, and neighbors who have not received Yeshua yet. And when you and I are taken out of this sphere, we're no longer there to give them testimony. The Lord will raise up, what, 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. He'll raise up two witnesses, and he will even have angels proclaim the good news during the great tribulation on this earth for seven years. So continuing here. Once more, the adversary took him up on the summit of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their glory, and said to him, All this will I give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Away with you, Satan. Yeshua told him, For the talk says, Worship Adonai your God and serve him only. I have, my, I have a question for my brothers and sisters who happen to be believers who are part of the, the Democratic and the Republican Party. Who are you serving today? Who are you worshiping today? Is it political leaders? Or is it the Lord God Almighty? Are you doing his will? Or are you doing the political will as being puppets in the hands of others? Who do not even know the Lord. Go, it goes on to say, Then the adversary led him alone, and the angels came, and they did what? They took care of him. See, God is always promises whatever test or trial we will face in this life, He's given us a way out, a path to victory. But are our, our eyes on our situation? Are we so focused on the pain that we're enduring that we push the Lord aside when we're almost ready to break through and walk in that victory in Messiah? Praise be to God. So it says that God tempts no one. Out of Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, It must be understood as God's means of strengthening Abraham's faith. What took place there? God told him, I want you to go to this mountain called Moriah and to offer your son up as a sacrifice. But we'll go here a little bit closer, which is Messianic Jews chapter 11 and beginning at verse 17. Because it's beautiful about this one other book, which I'm living, not dying, to know who the author is. The book of Hebrews, Messianic Jews. 
he also speaks about our father Abraham. Messianic Jews chapter 11, verse number 17. By trusting, by faith, Avraham, Abraham was put to what? To the test. Offering up Yitzhak, Isaac as a sacrifice. Yes, he was offered up his only son. He who had received the promises, to whom it had been said, what is called your seed will be Yitzhak, Isaac. For he had concluded that God could even do what? Raise people from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did so to receive him. And then continuing in chapter 12 of Messianic Jews. And beginning at verse number 5. Also you have forgotten the counsel which speaks with you as sons. My son, do not despise the discipline of Adonai or become despondent when he corrects you. For Adonai disciplines those he loves. Did you hear that? To prove that you are a legitimate son and not an illegitimate son, the Lord at time will do, he will discipline us. Continues and says this, and he whips everyone he accepts as his son. Regard your endurance as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons, for what son goes undisciplined by his father? All legitimate sons undergo discipline. So if you don't, you're an illegitimate son and not a true son. Furthermore, we have physical fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. How much more should we submit to our spiritual father and live? For they disciplined us only for a short time and only as best they could. But he disciplines us in a way that provides genuine benefit to us and enables us to share in his holiness. So think about that. For God to produce Holiness in us, he's the one that brings about the discipline. Now take this into consideration. There are man-made religions that a lot of us came from. And they would set up laws and standards that were of men. And we became frustrated. It did not produce holy living in our lives. But know this, God the Father who disciplines us, he allows us to walk in holiness through these trials and these temptations that we face in this life here on earth. Praise be to God. Now let us go to Yaakov chapter 1, verse 14. Rather, each person is being tempted whenever he's being dragged off or enticed by what? The bait of his own desire. Have you ever spent time with the Lord and then you go do, you take care of a project or something you need to do in your life? Then all of a sudden a thought comes in your mind. 
and something you were not even thinking about? That's temptation. The true test now is what are you going to do with this thought? Are you going to take that thought captive? Are you going to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know where this thought came from. I don't believe it's from you. So I ask Almighty God for you to intervene. And I want to focus on your will in my life and I'm going to continue to walk with you. That's how subtle it can come. Have you ever had dreams that are just simply gross? Absolutely disgusting. I think we all have, right? And so with that, that's temptation that comes into our lives. Either we can dwell on what that dream is and what it represents, or we can simply say, Lord, I don't know where this came from. I don't know it was from that pizza I ate last night or what have you, but I give it to you. See, we're, when we lose our childlike nature before the Father, we think, well, I've matured now. We're ready for a fall. So we walk humbly, contrite before the Lord God, our King. Praise be to him. Rather, each person is being tempted whenever he is being dragged off or enticed by the bait of his own desire. Human beings shifting blame in the Garden of Eden. Remember? Adam told God, The woman you put here with me, she gave me from some fruit from the tree. Where is that found? In Genesis 3.12. Remember our Torah reading a few weeks ago? Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And he came down a little bit and he, uh, Joshua said, hey, there's war going on in the camp. And then when, he, when Moshe went down there, he saw what took place. And he asked his brother, where did this calf come from? He said, well, they gave me all their gold and silver. And I just simply threw it in the fire and automatically out came a calf. Really? Is that really what happened? See, we always want to pass the blame to someone else. So God should never be blamed for sin. Sin is a sign of the enemy, Hasatan. It is the evidence of his activity in our lives. God may allow temptation to strengthen the trust and faith as we as Messianic believers. But if, but if we give into temptation, then we are alone to blame. Temptation is inevitable. No one escapes it, not even Yeshua. Did we not read? Absolutely. Unless believers acknowledge this reality, they have, been, they have now programmed themselves for failure. Back to verse number 14. Rather, each person is being tempted whenever he is being dragged off and enticed by his own bait and by his own desire. As we get deeper here, yielding temptation is sin. Temptation itself is not sin. As I've counseled people who've come up to me and they said, Rabbi Frank, I'm just receiving all this temptation in my life. And they're walking under condemnation. Because they truly believe that if the reason why temptation was in their life, because there's sin in their life. See how that's a vicious circle? 
Hasatan shares a little bit of truth, gets us out of balance. And I had to share with this dear brother and say this. And I read the scripture to him from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I said, so did Yeshua sin here? And I had had him read the scripture back to me. And I said, brother, you're walking in condemnation. That's a jail, a prison cell that Hasatan wants you to remain therein. He wants you to simply give up and simply possibly even take your own life. Because a man did share with me he was having suicidal thoughts through this whole process. See, Hasatan, he is there to do what? Rob, kill, and destroy anyone. And if he can destroy your relationship with the Lord, that's his heart's desire. And so temptation is inevitable. No one escapes it, not even Yeshua. Unless believers acknowledge this reality, they have programmed themselves for failure. Back to verse number 15. Then having conceived... The desire gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to what? To death. And what is death? But separation from the presence of the Lord. Yielding temptation is sin. Temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is also not just a single event, but a process involving four stages. And what are they? Number one, enticement. Number two, entrapment. Number three, endorsement. And finally, enslavement. The four keys to overcoming temptation is not to resist, but also to change one's thoughts, refocusing one's mind on what is true and the one Yeshua, who assures us victory. Remember Joseph, Potiphar's wife? Come sleep with me. What did he decide to do one day? He just took off, and his cloak was in her hand, and she falsely accused him. The Lord allowed that. Otherwise, Joseph would not be the man on his journey to save his whole family and to be a type of Messiah. That's just one simple illustration. So temptations, his own desire, known in Judaism as Yetzirah, evil inclination. Let us now turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And we'll end on this today. Romans 5 And verse 12, we're not too far. I think all of you have found your your places there. Romans 5 and verse 12. Here's how it works. It was through one individual that sin entered the world. And who was that person? Adam, our father. Everyone's father. Because we're all descended from whom? Adam. And through sin, death. And in this way, death passed through what? The whole human race. Notice that. 
It does not say through nationalities because we all have the same mother and the same father, Adam and Eve. Insomuch as everyone sinned, sin was indeed present in the world before the Torah was given. But sin is not counted as such when the Torah, when there is no Torah. Nevertheless, death ruled from Adam until Moshe, Moses, even over those whose sinning was not exactly like Adam's violation of direct command. Did you hear that? When God gave the command not to eat of the true, the knowledge of good and evil, he heard it directly from the Lord. Eve was not there. Adam later told Eve about it. And so when Hasatan came to the weaker vessel, not demeaning our mother Eve, and then said, did God really say? Question, putting doubt in her heart. She fell into the sin of allowing deception to be in her heart. Because she should have went and inquired of her husband. Did, did God really say that? But she did not. She simply went, saw it was good, picked of it. And then what did she do? She went and offered this fruit. And I believe, and the scripture doesn't give this detail, but I truly believe this. That fruit probably looked a lot different than any other fruit that Adam had ever eaten. But was, what was the promise? Well, the serpent told me that if we would simply partake of this fruit, we will be like what? We will be like God. See, Adam's offense was far greater because he broke a direct command. Let's continue here. Nevertheless, death ruled from Adam until Moshe, Moses, even over those who were sinning, was not exactly like Adam's violation of direct command. In this, Adam prefigured the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if because of one man's offense, many died, then how much more God's grace, that is, the gracious gift of one man, Yeshua, the Messiah, overflowed to many. No, the free gift is not like what resulted from one man's sinning. For, for from one sinner came judgment that brought what? condemnation but the free gift came after many offenses and brought acquittal for if because of one offense of one man's death ruled through that one man how much more will those receiving the overflowing grace that is the gift of being considered righteous a rule in life through the one man Yeshua the Messiah in other words just as it was through one offense that all people came under condemnation. Remember your life walking and living under condemnation before you became born again? Continuing. So also it is through the one righteous act that all people came to be considered what? Righteous. By your own works? No. But you're trusting and believing what Yeshua did upon that tree. Dying on that tree for our sins and raising from the dead. Verse number 19. For just as though, just as through disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the other man, 
many will be made righteous. And the Torah came into the picture so that the offense would, would proliferate. But where sin proliferated, grace proliferated even more. All this happens so that just as sin ruled by means of death, so also grace might rule through the causing people to be considered righteous so that they might have eternal life through Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. And what is our final enemy that will be finally cast into hell's flames? It's not Hasatan, it is death itself. Praise be to God. Shabbat Shalom.